The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Tech leads losses as global equities sell off Asia, mired in the red after sharp declines on Wall Street. Bond yields being blamed again as they spike. Bundesbank President Jens Weidmann telling CNBC he is poised and ready to act. It's very important to look at the, at the root causes, and that is what we should do in the next Governing Council meeting. And uh, we also, of course, have ways to react to this, to adjust. Uh, I mean, the PEP comes with flexibility. It's a metaphor for the way the Brits lead their life. Spend now, pay later. UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak unveils billions of pounds in support for workers and businesses, but it comes with a big stick in the tail for corporations. It's going to take this country and the whole world a long time to recover from this extraordinary economic situation. But we will recover. Germany's financial watchdog reportedly starts legal proceedings against Greensill Bank, alleging balance sheet manipulation as the lender prepares to file for insolvency. Vivendi ends the year on a high note after the French media giant beats cooperating profit expectations thanks to growth at music label Universal and pay television group Canal Plus. And oil prices climbing ahead of an absolutely key OPEC Plus meeting with the alliance expected to decide against increasing output, whilst a drop in US fuel inventories helps support prices. So if anything, yesterday just reaffirmed my view that we are in for the long haul and with tax rises still to come over the horizon, as Jeff just mentioned in the UK. What about businesses? Well, it's quite a startling statement here uh, for anyone who thought we were back to normal in the latter half of this year or in the 2022 or even a little bit later than that. How about this from Lufthansa this morning? One line has really caught my attention. There's plenty more in there for Aneta to uh, go over in a moment. Capacity levels are going to return to 90% by when, do you think? By the middle of the decade. So they're talking 2025 to just get back to 90% of where they were as well. The group fleet will be reduced to 650 aircraft in 2023. They expect capacity on offer to increase to 40 to 50%. Uh, levels in 2021. So we're still only going to be at best of half of where we were in 2019 this year as well, despite the fact that the vaccine rollout in Europe does appear finally to just be getting going again as well. In terms of the numbers, I'll just do one or two because this is Aneta's realm as well. Again, same as the numbers we saw back in the autumn in October, uh, better than expected, but still pretty dire. The free cash flow, negative 1.09 billion. The forecast had been for negative 1.499. In Germany, and here is the, the, the stark truth of this. With, despite Kurtzart bite and a whole host of good schemes to keep people in jobs, uh, a further 10,000 jobs will be reduced or corresponding personnel costs will have to be compensated. Uh, I will just give you the, the, um, the sales figure, 2.59 billion euros, better than expected, 2.46. But there's way more depth we can go into on this. And that is why we have Aneta for you. Good morning to Aneta. <laughs> 
Good morning, Steve. Yes, that was an excellent outline. I mean, uh, Lufthansa is actually giving us quite a grim outlook because everybody, as you were pointing out, who thought that travel is coming back really soon uh, is disappointed because Lufthansa is thinking that the capacity only will resume to 90% by mid of the decade. And that is quite a cruel statement. Also, given the size of the company, because they've already um, laid off 20% of their personnel by the end of last year. And with these 10,000 jobs uh, further to be reduced, it's another almost 10%. So Lufthansa is, every, is, of course, in shrinking mode. If you look at the numbers, the fourth quarter um, is a, a tad better than expected. The cash train is not as bad as people people would have expected. Um, and also the uh, the net income and the EBIT number is better than expected. But that does not uh, remedy the situation that the outlook seems to be pretty grim also in terms of capacity planning for this year. Um, if you look at what they are saying about the year, it's quite telling um, that they are thinking the capacity um, will be 40 to 50 percent only in 2021 to, compared to 2019. And but they are prepared to offer, offer 70 percent. So they're keeping a lot of um, things like kind of uh, in a situation in a in a state that they can uh, restart their business quite successfully and um, that it actually um, ties in quite neatly with their plans to add more than 20 destinations for their summer holiday program though they're keeping some kind of optimism for the summer season but still it's a lot less than uh, previously expected and it's a lot less than Lufthansa itself had expected back in summer um, last year. When it comes to the outlook, that pretty much compares also with uh, what IATA, the industry body, is saying about the general outlook for the industry. They are also expecting that the industry will still burn through cash in the fourth quarter of this year. Most likely, this will also be the case for Lufthansa. The cash burn is, they are saying, it's $300 million um billion 300 million per month so two million um every two hours with that back to you terrific Annette. let me pick up and move on uh, i've got some numbers from uh, merck so let's just pop these up and have a quick run through. The group says uh, 2020 sales in a 17.5 billion euros, earnings per share rising to 6.7 euros, proposing a dividend of uh, 1 euro 40 cents per share. Uh, the group says it expects strong organic growth in sales in 2021. In terms of the uh, picture for fiscal 2021, Merck is forecasting organic growth um, of EBITDA Bitda in high single digit to low teens percentage range, uh, excluding the release of uh, provisions in uh, 2020. The group says it assumes that the business recovery that started in the second half of 2020 will continue into uh, fiscal 2021. I think share price is interesting because like a lot of uh, companies in the pharma health space, uh, they have enjoyed a reasonable run up from the beginning of the uh, pandemic crisis. But they've rolled over a little bit as we've come into the early part of 2021, of course, here. And I guess the market will be looking for some soothing messages this morning that the business will continue to make strides on the reopening up of economies here. So EBITDA pre-margin rising to 29.7, 
And as I say, the company uh, now says that it um, expects the second half of 2020 will continue into fiscal 2021 and that we will see a reasonable business recovery here. We'll be speaking with the CFO of the business, Stefan Oshman, starting at 10 past eight Central European time. So stay with us for that, Karen. Jeff, it's been a volatile month of March for markets and that continued yesterday as we saw again the rise in bond yields. It didn't take much. We've spent uh, some parts of this week closer to the 1.4 mark. Getting closer to 1.5 again meant uh, markets sold off, particularly on those technology names. You can see the outsized plunge in the Nasdaq 2.7 down versus a just modest retreat for the Dow. But if the, you look at the big moving stocks for both major indices, they were technology names. Salesforce, a stock that has benefited from the remote working trends, that was the big moving stock to the downside for the Dow. For the other major indices, it was Apple. And Apple's a stock that's now reversed about 8% over the course of this year. Investors having questions as to, to whether the journey will continue for the Cupertino giant as it has done the, during the pandemic. But curiously, as the stock sold off in session, some big Apple analysts were still looking at the earnings potential over the next 12 to 24 months, talking about the, the next iPhone that's come to market. And don't forget, we've only just been looking at uh, the latest iPhone 12 for about six months. And so what we're talking about now is the future device perhaps being a game changer also around service revenue from that group. Yet, despite some of those uh, factors behind the scenes, investors have gone risk off when it comes to big technology names. Let's take a look at them. You can see uh, the extent of the falls now. I mentioned uh, the reverse for Apple now off 8% year to date. 2.4% down in session. Bigger falls for Netflix, a stay-at-home stock around streaming. It was down close to 5% in session. Other high flyers are like Tesla, also falling uh, fairly aggressively, close to 5% uh, being stripped off the price of Tesla. But when I say aggressively, not much in terms of swings for Tesla stock, which can go up or down by that size uh, during many trading sessions, as we have witnessed. And that, that was something, as we saw inclusion around Tesla and the uh, S&P index, that uh, it could bring some more volatility. And I think it's very much demonstrated that in its early days, as uh, it's been included as one of the key components. Let's take a look at some of the big uh, stocks that uh, we are witnessing investors around the recovery of reopening theme, American Airlines are bouncing strongly. And this is telling you the rotation story, 3.9 on Carnival in the cruise ship industry and Norwegian, uh, you can see up 6.2%. So investors are looking out on the horizon around the vaccine rollout and what it could mean for some of these uh, beaten up sectors. Let's uh, take a close-up look at those treasuries this morning and see where we are travelling. You can see 1.47%. As I said, not much in terms of basis point moves off the 1.4, 1.41 that we've had. Very slim moves, but still it's enough for investors to, to question the path from here. And don't forget, uh, Jay Powell will be speaking later on today, closer to about midday Eastern time. Investors want to see whether the head of the Fed will tackle rising bond yields about a week ago. I don't know what they're expecting a week ago. He, he mentioned uh, just how far away they economy was from the Fed's targets. So I don't expect he's going to change his tune in a week's time, but uh, the market are challenging him nonetheless. A quick look at the VIX. Uh, we're not anywhere near the highs that we saw in January as we spiked on the so-called fear gauge, uh, but slightly more elevated, as you can see in session, picking up by 10% closer to the higher end of the 20s range. 26.6 is what we're watching. Well, Asian shares are selling off too. So let's get out to Matthew Taylor with more on the market action there, Matt. Hi there, Karen. Weakness across the board for the Asia-Pacific markets, uh, with the exception of Singapore, which is moving higher by about 
four tenths of one percent. We'll pull out so you can see uh, that patch of green and otherwise a sea of red. That negativity following on from Wall Street and as US futures track lower as well. The biggest decline is the Japanese market off by about two percent, along with the greater China markets as well, because Japan uh, just closing down by six hundred and twenty eight points. Uh, those markets with a big exposure to tech faring the worst. China markets, uh, take a look at the action here. Hong Kong down, uh, Shanghai down. The NPC, the National People's Congress, of course, out this week. News flow there that will be uh, really dominating investor appetite. Let's give you a look at some of those tech names as well across the region, really dragging on the overall sector here. You can see declines in the order of about 7%, 2.5% for Sony when it comes to Japan. So that is the picture in Asia. Of course, tech weaker as, of course, the Nasdaq sold down by that 2.7%, and as futures extend those declines. Back to you in London. Terrific, Matt. Thanks so much for that. Uh, Bundesbank President Jens Weidmann has told CNBC the ECB could adjust its pandemic-era stimulus program amid a rise in global yields. His comments came as ECB policymakers debate whether to increase the rate of bond buying ahead of next week's meeting. Annetta spoke to Weidmann and asked him whether he was in favour of a bigger bond buying program. We look at a whole set of indicators and a broad set of indicators that reflect the findings and conditions for the non-financial sectors of uh, the economy. So sovereign yields are just one element uh, of these. Uh, and there's, also, of course, also the findings and conditions for corporate, et cetera, uh, et cetera. So um, we need to look at this broad range of indicators. We need to look at it in real terms, in my view. And then we need to analyze the root causes for the movement, because we would react differently if yields rise because of inflation expectations picking up or, or because the economic outlook is improving to an exogenous uh, increase uh, that we would label unwarranted. So it's very important to look at the, at the root causes, and that is what we should do in the next governing council meeting. And uh, we also, of course, have ways to react to this, to adjust. Uh, I mean, the PEP comes with flexibility and we can use this flexibility to react uh, to such a situation. Would you say that flexibility also would entail to increase the run rate of purchases because they're currently um, below 20 billion euros a month? Well, as you know, I don't speculate about future decisions of the governing council. But of course, this is one element that is uh, on the table to use the flexibility we have in implementing uh, the PEP. But again, uh, the first step is to analyze uh, the uh, root causes and also to see uh, what effect we have on our ultimate objective, which is price stability. So uh, in a sense, it matters uh, what the effect is of these changes in findings and conditions on the inflation rate in the medium term. So our friend Mr. Weidman then talking to Annette, and as always, Annette with probing and penetrating questions, I think. And Mr. Weidman played his part, as he always does, being evasive, ducking and diving, bobbing and weaving like a great boxer in the ring, just trying to get out of, way, out of the way every time Annette threw in one of those right hooks. But we know the Bundesbank has been in a very uncomfortable place for a very long time, having to sign off effectively over the years on the increasing adventurism of the ECB here. But I will give Mr. Weidman credit for the point that he continued to make over and over again, which is let's analyze 
analyze the root causes of any spike in yields at this time, particularly around the 10-year, which is, we know, the look at the 5 to 10-year range. That is the area of the market that is always incredibly sensitive to inflationary pressure. Where is the inflationary pressure in Europe? It does not exist in meaningful terms in the way that it is measured and calculated. What we do have, though, is European bond yields reacting to the Treasury curve. And let's just put some evidence on the table from the latest survey, the Beige Book, is not clear, it seems to me, on whether there is inflationary pressure at this stage. The messaging out of the Beige Book seemed to be that the evidence on just something like consumer sales, auto sales is rather mixed, even as business is expecting the business environment to improve going forward this year. There was no clear evidence across the business community as a whole that prices being paid and prices being charged is rising consistently. Some places yes, some places no. I don't think the evidence is clear at this stage that any spike in Treasury yields is happening because the market is concerned about inflation. Supply, maybe, but inflation, no, it seems not. You'll find a lot of support for that theory across the marketplace. And we were talking to banking executives who feel the same way, that you've got structural deflation still for many years because of the extent of the downward forces you've seen during this pandemic. But the problem for markets, every time you get a a move in the bond yields, they're taking another look at what uh, this change in the interest rate environment means for technology. I was just going over some of the the major technology names. I mentioned Apple's been down 8% year to date. You don't have to look too far beyond the basket of uh, big technology names to see a similar size decline this year. Uh, you know, the other ones, Amazon's been down by a similar tune this year. Salesforce, uh, about 7.5%. Facebook, 6.5%. Uh, some of the others, Microsoft and, El- and uh, the likes of Alphabet, have gone the different direction. But there's still a concentration of some of those big stocks and investors chased during the pandemic that have come off by almost exactly the same amount since the start of this year. That does tell you a story that uh, the, the theory that investors worked on for many years, that low interest rates for many years, that view's changing. It does no longer support stretched valuations in some of these stocks. And I was pointing out before, there is good news around some of these stocks, and typically that would be a positive. Uh, you know, the likes of Apple, three different metrics that you would look at around the, the pipeline for Apple. That's all positive uh, from the return of cash to investors, uh, the services side, the uh, pipeline for devices. That should be a catalyst to buy the stock. You've got the forces now around the interest rate story that investors cannot put to one side. That's impacting technology, and I think you'll continue to see it impact the major indices, Steve. Look, I'm no behavioural finance expert. I'm no Daniel Kahneman. I didn't win a Nobel Prize for it. But look, we need to change the psychology here. I think the central bankers think that the market is against them. I think they think that there's some vigilantes just pushing, probing, trying to push them into a corner as well. But let's just change the narrative here. That's all way too conventional. You can read that absolutely anywhere. You can hear that anywhere. The narrative, I think, is actually the market is like a super fan of that boxer you were talking about just now. Uh, And basically it's saying, wow, you guys are doing a really good job. We can see what you're doing. You are going to create growth down the line. Uh, And one thing we mentioned earlier is that bond yields are a reflection of inflation. Well, they are and they aren't. They're also a reflection of expected future economic growth as well. So 
let's just take the central bankers at their word, that they know what they're doing, that they've got a plan and that it's going to work and that we're going to get to target. And this is the crazy point here as well. The central bankers are well below a lot of their targets on growth and, of course, on inflation as well. So if they're going to get to the target level, of course we're going to see yield curves pick up. Of course we're going to see bonds pick up at some stage. So let's change the narrative that it's the markets against the central bankers. Perhaps the markets are saying, all right, for once, you guys may have got a handle on this. You may get to your CPI targets. You may get to your growth targets. And if that is the case, then we are endorsing that by selling down an asset which is trading at historic uh, lows in terms of yield, historic highs uh, in terms of the underlying uh, for these bonds as well, uh, and taking them at their worth. The second point that we have to raise here is there are alarm bells absolutely everywhere about the ramifications. And if you didn't listen to the budget yesterday, I'll just do one because there's one more ramification you need to know. Rishi Sunak was absolutely terrified about what an increase in inflation and interest rates will do to the borrowing costs of the United Kingdom. One percentage point on both of those will take it up by £25 billion in terms of financing costs. If you listen to one thing on this channel, realise that your financing costs, if you are borrowing, are going to go up exponentially if indeed we do see a successful scenario for those central banks. There you go. Let's move on. Coming up on the show, uh, spend now and pay later. It's not one of those TV... Who wrote this? It's not one of those TV ads. Apparently, it's Rishi Sunak's budget in the UK. But who puts the bill? We all do, actually. But anyway, that's one of the answers that we'll come back to with Squawk after the break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. The FTSE Russell has confirmed that uh, Renishaw and Weir Group will enter the FTSE 100 as part of the March reshuffle of the blue chip index. Morrison Supermarket and utility company Pennon Group are out. The FTSE 250 will see the inclusion of the newly listed Dr. Martins and Bites Technology, BMO Group and Petrofac will exit. It'll be interesting to see what difference those adjustments make to the underlying index performance. The uh, FTSE 250 um, had a reasonable day yesterday, finally, off the... I mean, it's been a funny old year for the FTSE 250, but I think as international investors reassess the UK, don't think the budget really did any damage. Well, having some high flyers, though, on some of the indices, I think, makes a difference, though, don't you think? I mean, names that many have watched. Don't forget Dr. Martin's and, and the listing was quite, uh, you know, attracted a lot of attention internationally. I think yeah. having some of these names, unfortunately, it didn't quite make the, the FTSE 100. That would no. have been quite something if it parked its boots on the, on the FTSE, big oh, name FTSE. I love that. Bit of, bit of boots <laughs> analogy there. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Steve. Oh, I'm just going to remind viewers of something that I've tried to remind them about for a long time. Not about debt this time. It's about be careful what um, you think is going to happen once you get inclusion of stocks 
into the various indices. It's an old trap from the hedge funds, I'm afraid, that they buy the stock that they think is going to go into the FTSE 100 uh, because they know that the passive trackers have to own it once it gets into certain indices as well. Uh, and of course, very often um, what happens is, is the stock actually falls once the hedges get rid of their position because it's had a run up up uh, and the passives are forced to take it on. So it's not a slam dunk that you're going to get more institutional interest in the round when this happens. And if you think I'm talking nonsense, have a look what happened to Dimension Data around about 2000. It was kind of the top of the market. But uh, there you go. Jeff, you got a tease, I believe. Yeah, yeah. What are you suggesting here? That the professional investors might be trying to front run the retailers? Um, we'll get more no, on no, the uh, latest review when we speak with look. Philip, Philip Lawler, FTSE Russell, head of global market research. That's 930 CT. Sorry, what were you saying? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm saying actually they're doing something which is totally legal, which actually is quite smart if you think about it. If passive investors have to own something, whatever it is, if it's an MSCI or a Dow or an S&P or what have you, then very often you get a run up. Everyone's got that public information. You can see what the market cap of a company is. But yeah, it's a tried and tested hedge fund strategy. It doesn't work on some indices because, of course, uh, tracking uh, tendencies have changed over the years from a lot of the passives. But it's just something to be aware of. I, I just wanted to give the, the benefit of our experience experience to the viewers who think it's a slam dunk. Oh, it's in an index. We must buy this stock. Anyway, I better move on because I'm in trouble with the producers. Uh, UK Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak uh, unveiled an additional £65 billion in pandemic support uh, spread over this year and next in his 2021 budget. The Treasury forecasts a rapid pickup, 4% growth uh, this year. Uh, Sunak's plan includes a rise, yeah, big rise in corporate taxes as he looks to shore up the mounting deficit. In 2023, the rate of corporation tax paid on company profits will increase to 25%. Even after this change, the United Kingdom will still have the lowest corporation tax rate in the G7, lower than the United States, Canada, Italy, Japan, Germany and France. This is the point where I normally tell you about the pound, which, which is basically quite stately in its progress. 139.57. There's bigger things going on there, which is the dollar trade, of course, on cable as well. Um, the pound versus Swissy 128.30. But I'm very interested in euro sterling because, uh, as Karen's pointed out earlier on uh, this year as well, the pound's finally rallying against a few currencies. And yet we can't go anywhere yet as well. But just interesting if you want to have a look at the euro sterling slide below 0.9 and a bit of change to currently somewhere in the region of 0.86. So very very interesting. Um, I think there's a big bet going on from the UK government. I think that's, uh, I don't need to go into too much depth because we we analysed this in previous days because we've had 18 big policy announcements coming into this. The real big slam dunk out there, I think, for our viewers is this huge increase in corporation tax from 2023 onwards. It's only going to hit the big uh, TNCs, the big transnational corporations, the top 10% of companies in the UK. Smaller and medium-sized companies will have a tapered level uh, up to a quarter of a million pounds where they, they will then pay uh, a higher rate as well. Um, I think there's a big bet going on from the UK government that growth, consumption and that the vaccine rollout is going to work aggressively and actually that they'll be able to improve those figures going forward and that the unemployment levels, and let's face it, something big's happened on unemployment. The forecasts were 
for double-digit unemployment at worst as well. Now the Bank of England's got a a 7.5% handle on where they think it's going to get to. We're currently at 5.1%. There are high hopes in the UK, Karen and Jeff, that that can be held uh, with a low six handle as well. So um, that's very important for the economic recovery and indeed for those parlous UK finances. You were stuck out on uh, Abingdon Green for for the best part of the day yesterday here. I don't know how it went down with you, but I I was um, interested to see uh, the Guardian's uh, John Crace saying, uh, Dishy Rishi, the influencer, falls flat on his big budget moment. And I think the problem for a lot of people, and uh, John Crace points this out, is that most of this was already well known to us, wasn't it, by the time Rishi Sunak uh, stood up. And that hour... Uh, just dragged on as we heard over and over again the same things that he'd pretty much already told us. I, I'll just make two quick points before Karen jumps in. One, I think it was a smart budget in that there was nothing in there really in the very short term to frighten either employees or employers. But two, it was a very political budget in the sense that the taxes are coming, but in a stealthy form. And He did his best, I think, with the giveaways to try and get the Tories to hang on to those new Tory voters in the north who switched allegiance over the issue of getting Brexit sorted. So very political, quite smart but the pain is still coming. I was somewhat amused after all the wrangling with the Europeans on fears that the, the British may undercut them on taxation. What have you got uh, corporation tax going up to almost to close the gap with European partners? Well, it was mildly amusing that it didn't really play out after all those fights for, for many years. One of the other the points that came up to me, I mean, the fact that you had these headline stories around this corporation tax going up, but then that said, there was so much devil in the detail around the two-year super deduction of capital investment, 130 percent relief on purchases of equipment for the next couple of years and there was a lot in it. and then obviously that the tiered structure for those that have profits have left at less than 50,000 would still be on the lower point they just looked like there was a lot of complexity uh, underlying some of those headline comments that crossed yesterday steve yeah, i just say very briefly, uh, that, that super deduction, I think you're spot on to mention it, Karen, but that's mostly for capital investment in areas such as plant and machinery. We are a service sector economy. I'm not quite sure how that's going to help where we really see ourselves burgeoning going forward. But I think you're right. I think it's, it's a high catching figure. And I think that, that kind of figure is the one that the Europeans are going to worry about. And the other thing about the interest rates, I'd say, well, look, everyone's going up. You hear the language from Biden. You hear the language from Europeans about there has to be a price to pay at some stage as well. And again, if they're worried about their interest rate bill going forward, then they will be upping corporation tax. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.